what? If everybody would just put your hands on your belly right here. Because this is where we breathe from. Well, it's your lungs. No, your inner being. That's what I'm talking about. So it's talking about Jesus Christ, our living hope. And I feel right now that there needs to be a breath breathed on um, dreams and anticipation. Uh, like when when uh, we were just seeing that death has lost its grip on me, there is more than a physical death. There can be a soulish death that your mind, your will, and your emotions stop moving forward and stop dreaming. They stop anticipating good in the future. And I feel like we need to take this opportunity right now to right here where your hands are, I want you where you're standing just to ask God to breathe again, breathe fresh on the dreams that are on the inside of you that at one time that you really were passionate about, that at one time you had a big fire about and because of the times, because of age, because of finances, because of uh, anything, that those things have just waned. And they're just laying dormant and you really maybe haven't even thought about it for a time. And right now I want you to close your eyes. And if you're like, I don't know what that is, ask God to bring it to your remembrance. And right now, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to breathe, blow your breath on that fire on the inside. Holy Spirit, blow. And the Bible says you stir up the gift of God that is on the inside of you. So right now with your hands on your gut, you declare it. Holy Spirit, stir on the inside of me. Stir up the giftings on the inside of me. Stir up your passion. Stir up your fire. Stir up your hope on the inside of me. In the name of Jesus, take a deep breath. Holy Spirit, blow below the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of you as we were singing that Jesus Christ has been resurrected. The scripture says to us that the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives on the inside of you. So what can you not do? All excuses have been removed. What can you not do? In the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, blow. Take another deep breath in. Holy Spirit, blow across this room. Spirit of wisdom, spirit of truth, spirit of prophecy, blow through this room right now. In Jesus' name, take a deep breath. Right now, if there is something that is troubling you, a situation or a circumstance, I want you to use your holy imagination and begin to partner with God in seeing that through right now, seeing the process through, seeing God's best in that situation, whatever it is that you're praying for, whatever it is that you are needing breakthrough in right now, using the creativity that the creator put on the inside of you, begin to see how God is going to move through that and use that. Nick was just telling us a story of being in the hospital, separated from his family with a deadly cancer. And he is using the opportunity to spread the gospel to people. Maybe you're in a place right now that God has you there because you're supposed to be there because he needs somebody to be a light in that situation. He needs someone to use their mouth to declare the promises and the truth of God in that situation. So right now, just begin to see what God is showing you for your future in that situation. In Jesus name. In Jesus' name. One more deep breath. In Jesus' name. And we declare it is done. It is finished. Amen. 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 Let's, let's just, I feel a stillness. Do you feel it? Just a stillness. Let's, it's, it doesn't need to be awkward, so don't make it awkward. 
It's only awkward if you make it awkward. So let's just have a stillness for a moment. If you would, I don't know about you. I have to get a hold of the chair in front of me because if I close my eyes and I lose my balance and then I'll fall over, but get a hold of something. If you need to sit down to be still, sit or stand. I don't care. Let's be still for a moment and just listen. So close your eyes and center in and listen. Jesus is king. And you are God. Thank you, God. God, we still ourselves. Because you are God. And you are all we need. And if this is what we came for, this is what we came for. God isn't hard. God is not hard. Being a Christ follower, following Jesus, it's just that easy. Oh, God, thank you for love. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for this. And we carry this in Jesus' name. deep breath if you would say it Jesus is king Jesus is king so go ahead everybody open your eyes and if you in those moments know that you felt the tangible presence of God, I'm asking you to just raise your hands right now. If God ministered to you, ministered to your heart, you felt emotion, you felt, keep your hands up, keep your hands up. You felt an unexplainable emotion. Maybe all of a sudden you thought, oh my gosh, I'm having hot flashes and I'm only 18. (laughs) I'm getting that warm feeling on the inside. Stick your hands up high. Stick your hands up high. Look around, look around the room. Look around the room. Okay, now, not out of embarrassment, not out of, oh my gosh, um, you can't hear the Lord. Keep your hands up, and I want you to look around. Don't move until I say. What I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to look and see a person around you that doesn't have their hand raised, and I don't want you to touch them because they might not want to be touched. <laughs> if they say, please do put your hand on my shoulder, then, then I want you to do so. But right now, what we need to do, those of you that have your hand raised, stick them up high. Those of you that have your hand raised, you've now been empowered and charged. So now, those of you that 
don't have a hand up. This is not because you do not hear from God. And I want you to hear me because I went to a prayer. I was asked to go to a prayer conference and you could put your hand down for just a moment. <laughs> You're like, my fingers are getting numb. <laughs> no, I was asked to go to a prayer conference and the whole conference was soaking and just being still and listening to God's voice and prophetic things would come forward. And I thought, I can't go to that because these, all these people are super in tune with God and they're all going to know that I'm messing it up, that I'm laying there thinking about, well, I wonder what's going to happen outside. I wonder what's going on. And they're all going to discern it. That's not true. That is a lie. And that lie is sent to make you think that you can't hear God's voice. And that you don't hear him. So again, I want to ask everyone that knows that they experienced something from God in that moment. Raise your hand up really high. And if you really don't want anybody touching, you can stick your hand up in the air right now. And like, I don't want anybody. (laughs) So I want you now to look around and don't, don't move. I just want you to look and see someone around you that doesn't have their hand raised. Go ahead and look and lay, lock, lock your eye on someone. And now... I want you to stretch your hand toward that person, not touching them. I want you to stretch your hand toward them, and I want you to begin to pray. What you just experienced, what you know that you felt, what you know you experienced and encountered in that moment, release that right now. Push it. Push it through. Push it through. And you're pushing love. You're pushing the power of God's love through right now. Just push it to them. And God, those that you are ministering to, that you have your heart so set on right now, Father, like a wave of warm oil just to wash over them right now, that oil of your love, of your acceptance, of your goodness, of your kindness, of your future and your hope, push that through right now. Push it through in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, peace. Push your peace. Those of you that are being prayed for with your eyes closed, just take a deep breath. Peace. Peace. Shalom. Nothing missing and nothing broken. Those of you that are praying, if you're feeling that flow through you, you're sensing something flow through you, I want you to raise your other hand right now. You're sensing something flowing through you to them right now. Yeah, yeah, keep pushing, keep pushing. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Those of you that are receiving, your only, your only thought right now, God loves me. God loves me. And just receive that love, receive that peace in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, those of you that are being prayed for, if you would just put your hand on your heart. I believe that my heavenly father sees me and he knows me and he has called me by name. I am important. I am loved. I am marked for a future and a destiny. I have purpose. I am here for a reason, and God knows me. God knows me, and he chooses me. If you would, if you can with your outside voice, say, I am chosen. I am chosen. And I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say that. I am chosen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now you can touch someone. (laughs) In church appropriate manner. (laughs) Just reach out and shake somebody's hand and just tell them God knows your name. God knows your name.
You know, sometimes we think that silence is an awkward thing. But you know that we need to learn to steward silence. Did you know that? Because our world is so loud and so noisy that actually it is a learning now to begin to steward quiet and to steward silence. And it's a good thing. So, you know, I've heard actually Darren's pastor when we were uh, dating, Darren's pastor said, if you are a person who has to have the TV going, the radio going, have to have something on all the time, it's because you are not settled. So I just, I want to encourage you. I'm from that point, I made it a, a point from that time that when I'm riding in the car, I'll just turn the radio off. Or if I'm home by myself, I just turn the TV off and have no noise and just purpose to just be in the still. And it's, it's good for us because how many of you know, life is just noisy. It's noisy out there. <laughs> So we need to learn to just be still. We're not meant to have stimulation 24-7, right? We need some time to be still. And I'm, I mean, I'm not trying to be like rude or nothing, but I mean, how many people actually don't even go to the bathroom without looking or reading or doing something now on your phone, right? Julia, you're always so honest. <laughs> but we just need some time to be still. So thank you for going on the journey you really uh, didn't know you were doing that this morning, but you did it and you're still alive. So say, yay, good for me. Okay. <laughs> My name is Lynette. If I've never had the opportunity to meet you before, I'm just honored that you are in our home today from the time that we started this church back in May of 2000, I wanted people to feel at home. This was, that, that was my thing. Like if you come to my house, I want you to feel at home. I want to be a good hostess to you. And that is the way that we are here. We just want you to feel comfortable in our home. So welcome home. We're glad that you're here. Yes. Uh, I want to start something with you today, and we're going to carry it on into next Sunday, but I want to start out by asking how many of you know who Gordon Ramsay is? He is a professional chef that has like a bunch of shows on TV. I don't even know how many shows he has on TV, but we thoroughly enjoy watching him in our house. Our daughter is a foodie, so she is a big fan of Gordon Ramsay's, and if Gordon Ramsay's doing something, then we're probably going to catch wind of it somehow because she really enjoys his uh, recipes, his shows, and all of this stuff. So a few years ago, we had the opportunity to go to one of Gordon Ramsay's restaurants. It's kind of one of those like once-in-a-lifetime experiences. And um, I had made reservations online uh, months before we went, literally. And uh, it asked if you had any special requests or special needs, you know, uh, for your visit there. And I had made a little comment, and I thought, well, I'm just going to put this in there. I wrote in there that my daughter is a huge fan of the show and an aspiring chef, and it would just be wonderful if we could get a table that had a view of the kitchen. And, well, when our reservation comes up, we go and we're waiting for our reservation time. And when our reservation time came, they took us to our table and they kept walking and walking and walking. And they took us to this table that was literally in the middle of the restaurant that was elevated up on these, on this thing. And we sat in this round booth and had a view straight to the kitchen. Okay. Now, if you know me, I'm crying already. I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> God is so you know, I mean, this is what I'm thinking. And Riata is like, oh my gosh, we were all in awe. And our um, waiter comes to the table and he says, I hear that we have an aspiring chef at the table. Like it makes me emotional now thinking about it because it was just so cool. <laughs> and it was one of those things like, I don't know anybody dude. like, like usually you got to know somebody that knows somebody to get here. I know God. <laughs> So it was just one of those moments where, you know, any of you parents know that if something is done that is really special for your child, you're like, uh, game over. I'm done. This is the best. It doesn't get any better. Well, he says, I hear we have an aspiring chef at the table. And so, of course, we all point at Riata. And um, <laughs> in a little while during our meal, uh, I don't remember her name. Riata could tell you her name, but she was one of the winners of Hell's Kitchen, who was the head chef at this uh, particular Hell's Kitchen restaurant. And she came out 
to meet Riata and talk to her about the meal and talk to her about her passion for cooking. And she signed a cookbook for her. I'm like, okay, I can just go home now. I'm good. (laughs) We were all crying. What was so great? I look over and Rhett and Darren are sitting next to each other. And they're both, I don't know. I think that that is like, man, when you're like, you know, trying, oh my gosh, my eyes are leaking. Like, I don't know what's happening. You know, (laughs) they were trying not to leak, but leaking was happening everywhere. So anyway, we had the most amazing meal that I have ever had to that time. I had only seen beef Wellington on TV. Who else in here has ever had? I know Brett makes beef Wellington. So um, I need to be invited to your house for dinner. (laughs) But beef Wellington is a stinking amazing. It's like I've never had anything like that before in my life. And I had seen them on TV. If you ever watch Hell's Kitchen, you know that's one of the things that they make. So I had already in my mind what I'm going to order before we ever got to the restaurant because I want this because I've seen it on TV. I want this because I've seen it on TV. And I want this because I've seen it on TV. So I ordered the Beef Wellington. I think all of us ordered the Beef Wellington. But it came out, okay, Like it was as big as your face. It was huge. And I thought that is, that is a big piece of beef right there. (laughs) That's like a cow on my plate, but it was so amazing. I tried to eat all of it because it was expensive too. (laughs) And I'm not going to waste that. So I was doing my best, but man, this meal was such a treat. It was truly a delicacy. So if you go with me over to Proverbs chapter 24, starting in verse 13, out of the Passion Translation, it says this, revelation knowledge is a delicacy, sweet like flowing honey that melts in your mouth. Eat as much of it as you can, like the beef wellington, eat as much of it as you can. He goes on in verse 14 and says, for then you will perceive what is true wisdom. Your future will be bright and this hope living within you will never disappoint you. So it's telling us to take in all of the revelation knowledge that you can. And just for, as moving forward, we're going to talk more about it. But when I say the word revelation, that's a big church word. And basically the very easy definition or for our context today, what we're talking about, when I talk about revelation, what I'm saying is new. It means literally from the scripture, what it means is to be uncovered for something to be realized that wasn't previously known, but it's done because something has been revealed. Therefore the word revelation. So that's where we're going with that word revelation today. And it tells us to get all you can because the more revelation you get, the brighter your future will be and the more it will be filled with hope. Revelation is directly tied with hope. So we're going to look into that today. So I want to dive into a story in our Bible that tells us about revelation and hope. And when I say story, we all understand hopefully that this is not fiction. We're not talking about a book that was written and made up. When I say a story, I'm talking about a true account, a historical account. When we read our Bible, it's reading a history book, but it's our history. It's like reading your family's history. So this morning, I want to share with you some of your family's history. So we're going to dive into this in Joshua chapter 2. And what's happened, just to catch you up here to the book of Joshua, what's happened so far before this, where we're going to jump in, is that God had spoken to a man named Moses, and Moses led an entire nation of people out of captivity from the land of Egypt. They were in slavery and in bondage in Egypt. God spoke to Moses and said, I want you to lead my people out. Moses led the people out All of those that previously had been owners of the slaves, they were covered over in the ocean, in the Red Sea, so that none of them could come back and claim ownership over those people. God completely wiped them out so that no one else could lay claim to them but him. That's why all of them were covered in the Red Sea. All of the Egyptians and the Pharaoh were covered in the Red Sea because God said, no one else will be able to lay ownership to you but me. You belong to no one but me. So Moses led them through the Red Sea, and now he's taken them out into what the Bible calls the wilderness. 
They're in a desert area. And if you look at in the map, it should be approximately an 11 day journey from where they were to where God was taking them. But what ended up happening is there was a lot of stubbornness. There was a lot of hard headedness. There was a lot of rebellion that was taking place along the way. And so what should have been an 11 days journey actually ended up taking 40 years. Look at your neighbor and say, get it in your head, right? So 40 years now, they've been roaming around in the desert. God has miraculously provided for them and taken care of them. So if your spouse is really hard-headed, God will still take care of them. Look at them and say, bless your heart. No, okay, so then... Moses now has passed away and God has spoken to one of the people that was the closest to Moses and was right there. He was Moses's right-hand man and his name was Joshua. God has now spoken to Joshua and said, Moses, my servant is dead. Now you rise up and you take these people into the land of which I promised to give to you. That is called, that's why it's called the promised land or the promised land. You've heard songs and you know, you hear people talk about that in church, the promised land. What the heck is that? It's the land that God promised to give to them. Thus the promised land. Revelation right there. Okay. Anyway. So God tells Joshua, I want you to lead them into the promised land. And so um, all of the people are gathered up and they're on one side of the Jordan River that separates, the Jordan separates the wilderness territory that they've been in for 40 years. There's a Jordan River. They cross over the Jordan River and they go into the land of Canaan. And that is the land that God promised to give to his children. So we're going to pick up right here in Joshua chapter two, starting in verse one. All of that's covered in Joshua chapter one. That was the Lynette translation. So here we go. Now we're going to go to the new King James translation. Joshua chapter two in verse one says this. Now Joshua, the son of sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. Jericho was right on the other side of the Jordan River. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. So now I want to give you a little bit of a description and a back background of what's going on in Jericho. Jericho is a town that is right on the other side of the Jordan River. So from Jericho, you could look across the Jordan and see into Uh, the plains of the wilderness. So Jericho is a town of, uh, at this time, Canaan was separated into a bunch of different uh, states, if you will, and each state was ruled or had its own government. And Canaan or Jericho was ruled and governed basically through idolatry, through lawlessness, there was um, a lot of worship that was taking place that would be called pagan worship, meaning that they were worshiping all these different gods, but the gods that they were worshiping were gods that required child sacrifice. There was a lot of sex that was taking place in the temple that was part of their worship to their gods. There was serpent worship that was taking place. So like basically everything has gone to hell in a handbasket in Jericho. It is like... Uh, just not good. We'll just go with that. We'll just go with that. It's not good. So the Canaanite people are people who have been living like this for years. Now, Jericho has huge walls built all the way around it. So it's what would be called a fortified city. So the spies come to Jericho and they go to a harlot's house named Rahab. Rahab was a woman that had been living in Jericho. And so Rahab has never been married. Her house is built into the wall of Jericho. The walls were huge, like they would have chariot races around the tops of the walls. So Rahab's house is literally built into the side of the wall that went around Jericho. So her door opened into uh, Jericho and through her window, she could see outside of the wall. The king of Jericho, Jericho heard about these two spies. Word got around. There's some people that have come in to spy out Jericho. So the king has sent out his men to try and find these spies and they're going to kill them. So the spies had come to Rahab's house. Rahab knew who they were, found out who they were, and she hid them on the roof of her house in the wall. 
So when the, when the king's men come and ask, where are the spies? She lies to them and she tells them, well, they've already left. They left through the gate and they are on their way. If you send all your men now, you can take off after them and go find them. So they did. And then the gate to Jericho was shut up. So then in Joshua chapter two, starting in verse eight, after the men had left and the, uh, the, the king's men had left, she goes up to the roof where the two men are that she's hidden and she's covered them up on her roof. And she says this to them. Now, before they laid down for the night, she came up to them on the roof and she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint hearted because of you. See, the Canaanite people had heard that God had brought these people out of Egypt. Like they didn't have Instagram back then, but word spread. They had social media by word of mouth. People had been talking about these Israelites that God rescued and saved out of Egypt and that they are out in the wilderness. And they also know that they're living in the land that God had promised to give to them. So they're living basically on borrowed time. They're living someplace that belongs to somebody else. So now they have for 40 years been hearing about these people that are living out in the desert. And one of these days, they're going to come claim what belongs to them. They've heard about how God is sustaining them. They've heard about the miracles that are happening in the wilderness. They hear about how God is feeding them on a daily basis. They hear about all of the things that this mighty God is doing for these people. The word has spread. So now we go on to Joshua starting in verse 11. Rahab continues and she says, and so as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to me, to my father's house, and to give me a true token. And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. See, Rahab's living on the wall, and where she lives, she runs a bed and breakfast. No judgment. For a certain price, you could get a little more bed than breakfast. But the bottom line is where she lives... She hears all of the comings and goings, all the people that travel through Jericho and come there to trade and do business. She hears about it. She's, she, it's like, it would be like working in a beauty salon, right? I mean, she's hearing everything, but she's running a bed and breakfast. So she's hearing everything that's going on. And she is from her, from her dwelling where she's living, she is on the wall. And so for years, She's been hearing about these people that live out in the desert. And she's hearing how this stuff rains down from heaven and feeds them every day. Nobody's ever seen it before. She's hearing how these people who for 400 years lived in bondage and in slavery. And in one day, God delivered and saved all of those people. And I would like to think that from her window, I would like to propose to you that she could look out on the plains and that the Bible says that when God put the people out in the wilderness, when he led them out there, that he said, I will be with you as a cloud by day, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. I would like to propose to you that from Rahab's dwelling on the wall, that there came a time where she looked out at night and she could see this fire raising up in the desert and she did not know what is that she could see in the daytime she would go and look again and in the daytime she could see this pillar of cloud coming down from the heavens and she couldn't figure out what is that and day after day after day she would look and she would look out in the wilderness and she would see a cloud of dust of two and a half million people traveling across the desert and she would see with them every day and every night every night she would go and look yes the fire is still there coming down from heaven 
And as she continued to look year after year and day after day and the faithfulness of that fire and the faithfulness of that pillar of cloud, she began to think to herself, if this God who redeemed two and a half million people out of 400 years of slavery, if this God could save and redeem them, what could this God do for me? And she makes a statement here to these spies that have come and she's sitting in her house. What does she say to them? She says, your God, he is God in heaven and on earth. She makes a huge declaration of faith, even living in such a tumultuous time, living in a place where the depravity of people had gone to a level that had never been seen before. And now Rahab living in this town and surrounded by all the corruption, surrounded by all the immorality, surrounded by the thoughts of what are people thinking? This woman day after day would look out her window and see there is a God. And she makes this declaration to them. And then she says to them, give me a sign and make me a promise. Swear to me. Out of all of the people I don't know how big, I didn't look up the population of Jericho, but out of all of the people in Jericho, it was the, it was the premier town in Canaan. So there's a lot of people there. Do you happen to know? Nope, we don't know. Google it. <laughs> out of all the people that they could have come, come into, they come into Rahab. Hmm. Kawinky dink? I think not. Now, all of these stories, all of these things that she's heard, she has had this one woman, the one woman in all of Jericho who has had a revelation of God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All these years she's been watching. And now two of the men from that tribe are actually standing in her home. For years, she's been hearing about it. And now she takes a huge risk and she stakes her life on this revelation of God. And she declares her belief to these two men that she's never met before. She declares her faith in their God. So much so that she says to them, Give me a token. Swear to me an oath. This is how much she believes. She goes on in verse 14. So the men answered her, our lives for yours. If none of you, if none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was on the city wall and she dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, Get to the mountain, lest the the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned, and afterwards you may go your way. Now, it says here in the scripture that she let them down by a rope. Now, I want to tell you that I do not speak Hebrew, but I'm going to do my very best just for you this morning. So this word rope here is a Hebrew word, chebel, C-H-E-B-E-L, chebel, because if you're a good a Jewish person, there's a lot of that in there. I am not, and I don't want to um, do anything unnecessary. So, chabel. What that word, that word rope means is it's like a measuring line. It's what they would use to measure out territory or inheritance. But in the Hebrew, it has a deeper meaning. That word chabel, that is the word rope, it literally means ruin, destruction, pain, and sorrow. She let them out the wall through her ruin, her pain, her destruction, and her sorrow. I want you to hold on to that. Put that in your pocket and hold on to it. We go on in verse 17, and it says, So the men said to her, 
we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and your, fa- and your father's household to your own home, it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you made us swear. Then she said, according to your word, so be it. And she sent them away and they departed and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. It is interesting to note that in only days from this moment that we're reading about right here, that the Hebrew people that have been in the wilderness for 40 years from their escape and their salvation from Egypt, in only days, they will be celebrating the Passover. They are preparing to do so, and you can read in Joshua chapter 5, that after they crossed over the Jordan River into the land of Canaan, before they attacked Jericho, they celebrated the Passover in the plains of Canaan. Why is that interesting? Well, the instructions that they gave to Rahab are very, very similar, if not identical to the instructions that God gave to his people in Egypt at the Passover. They said to her, bind this scarlet rope on your window And bring all of your family into your home and keep them in your home and close the door. Everyone who is in your home will be saved. God's instructions to his people in Egypt were anoint your doors with the scarlet blood. And when you anoint your doors with the scarlet blood, bring all of your household into the home, shut the door, and everyone who is in the home will be saved. This cord was literally Rahab's lifeline. This was her entire future that she was attaching to this scarlet cord. She was banking everything on it. So let's take a little bit of a deeper look here. You want to look deeper? Let's look deeper for Revelation, shall we? So the spies escaped by a rope through her window, and that rope is the Hebrew word chabel. We learn that that rope means the ruin, the destruction, pain, and sorrow. This was Rahab's entire existence to that point. Now, in verse 18, it says, The spies say to her, Unless when, you, when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window. That word line there is a different Hebrew word than the word used for rope in the previous, when she spoke of it previously. That word line in the Hebrew is tikvah. T-I-Q-V-A-H. Tikvah. What that means is it is because of Rahab's revelation of God that what once was the hebel, the rope, has now become her tikvah. That word tikvah in the Hebrew literally means it is hope, it is thing that I long for and what I wait for. That word is a cord or a line of attachment. They said to her, unless you bind this line that attaches your revelation that you have had and declared to us of who God is and whom you declare as your God to serve, you have attached your life now and this scarlet cord is your attachment. It is your tie. It is your hope. It is the thing that you have sat in your window and looked at for years and have seen coming and have waited for now your hope is here the scarlet lifeline tied Rahab to God as her salvation this scarlet cord was Rahab's hope 
Just like if we go back to the scripture that we opened up with in Proverbs 24, it says to us, revelation knowledge is a delicacy. And it goes on and says, your future will be bright. And this hope living within you will never disappoint you. That word hope, guess what that word is? Tikvah. The very thing that Rahab tied to her window to signify that she had declared her faith in God, that she had had a revelation of who God was. See, the story of Rahab and her life intersecting the life of those spies is so similar to the story of our lives in intersecting Jesus Christ because the spies said to her, upon your declaration, we lay our lives down for you. Jesus Christ says, upon your revelation of who I am, you will realize that I have laid my life down for you. My life for your life. That revelation changes everything. The revelation of who Jesus is. Our appetite for revelation is directly attached to the measure of hope that we carry. If your appetite for revelation diminishes, I can tell you without doubt that hope in your life will wane. If your appetite for revelation is high, if your appetite for uncovering and learning and growing with God, the level of hope in your life will rise. See, it is the place that we attach our lifeline to that determines. See, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me put it this way. You are attaching yourself to something in the future all the time. Your anxiety, your stress, your depression, your fear, all of those things that you experience, you are attaching yourself. You are tying yourself with a rope to something in the future, but you are envisioning a future apart from God. Whereas when you have the revelation as Rahab did of who God is, now you tie yourself to a future as Rahab did with a scarlet cord. The blood of Jesus Christ now attaches you to a future with God in it. Because God tells us in Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, see, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts to give you a future and a hope. <coughs> hope. Hope is attached to the future because hope is what you are looking into the future for, but you haven't seen it yet. You don't have hope for what you already have. Hope attaches us to the future, but it doesn't just attach us to the future. For those who have had a revelation of Jesus Christ, hope attaches us to the future that God has for us. <coughs> hope attaches us to a good future. See, Proverbs says to us in Proverbs 25, 2. Are you on the edge of your seat now? What does it say? Pro <laughs> Proverbs 25, two says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of Kings to search out a matter. See the thing of it is, is, okay, let me say this at the beginning of service, we stood and we, we, we waited on the Lord to minister to us. <coughs> we wait with expectation. And there are those who are convinced from a lie from the bondage the sorrow and the captivity of the past and even the present that God doesn't speak to you the way he does other people. There is a bondage and it's a lie. See, if God, let me, let me say this to you. Anybody in here that would believe that lie or has those thoughts, I mean, can I tell you the truth? Standing in worship this morning. God, I don't even know what I'm saying today. And I had to still, my husband, in that moment, leaned over to me and said, you've got this. The enemy tries to do it to everyone. 
I hate to tell you, you're not special in that respect. (laughs) If you're having those thoughts, God doesn't talk to me like he does to other people. I don't hear God. I don't know if God's ever spoken to me. I don't know if I've ever experienced God. You're not special. That's the same line of bull crap that the enemy runs on everyone. He has nothing new. He can come up with, he doesn't invent anything new. It's the same. So if you're sitting there like I was when I went to that prayer retreat, I'm like, I don't know if I can go to that because all those people are so spiritual and they're going to know that I'm the only one in the room thinking about, oh, you know what? I think it would look really cool if I move my furniture this way in my living room. We all feel that. How, like I, I've talked to people and they say, well, I don't know about, I don't, I'm, it scares me to go to church because I'm afraid that when I walk in, everybody in there is going to know my sin. No, they don't. Truth be told, they should be focusing on them own selves. <laughs> right? Our appetite for revelation is directly related to our hope. So I want you to think about this. I want you to think about Rahab sitting in her home and looking out her window and seeing that fire and seeing that cloud day after day after day that God was never not there. He didn't take a vacation day. Day after day, this woman Rahab, who probably had numerous people in her life that didn't show up for her, probably had had numerous people who broke their word to her. Day after day, she sees the consistency and the faithfulness of this God. She had a revelation of who he was. And her appetite, day after day, looking out her window, her appetite only increased. Day after day. Nobody came to preach to her. She was watching she was experiencing with her own eyes something that was miraculous that she had never seen before, that nobody could fabricate. And day after day, her appetite was growing, and the more she fed it, the more hope she had. For this God who had saved a nation of people that maybe he would save a harlot. See, the other thing that we see in Rahab's story is it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how, how off you think you've been. It doesn't matter how far you think your life has gone. The Bible records her as Rahab the harlot. It doesn't matter what you've recorded of yourself in your own mind. God sent people to find her. God found you. If you are hearing this, if you have ears to hear, hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. God found you. You thought you were looking for him. You only found him because he's looking for you first. He was found by you because he knew you before you ever took your first breath. Rahab goes on to marry a man of the tribe of Judah named Solomon. And in Matthew chapter 1 and in verse 5, she is listed in the genealogy of King David, who is then in the genealogy of our Messiah, Jesus Christ. This woman who is recorded, Rahab the harlot, is mentioned in the New Testament in the same verses with Abraham, the father of our faith, and then lists out Rahab because of her faith. There she's not listed as a harlot. She's listed as a woman of faith. So if God could do this for her, what could he not do for you? What could he not do for us? The appetite, our appetite for revelation. See, I can tell you straight up, I've watched Gordon Ramsay shows. I don't know how many Gordon Ramsay shows I've watched, but not one time when I've been watching him cooking Beef Wellington on TV has it ever filled me up. It makes me want to get up and go in my kitchen and get something to eat. That's what it does. (laughs) But not one time watching Gordon Ramsay on TV have I ever got full. 
See, that's the thing about God is God doesn't have any grandkids. Your faith and your relationship with God is not through your mom and dad. It's not through your sweet auntie who cried on the pew up in the front for 40 years. Your relationship with God is your responsibility and it is your attachment. It is your scarlet cord. It is the blood of Jesus Christ for you that attaches you to God. God does not have any grandkids. He only has children. You're a son and a daughter. That's it. And there is no further out. It is completely and totally out of all of the things in this world that we have no control over. Because if we did, the wind would have stopped blowing by now. (laughs) Out of all of the things that we have no control over, we have absolute and total control over this. We have absolute and total responsibility for this, our relationship with God, our revelation of him as our father. It's the experience that we have of him in the same way that you can sit in here week after week after week and listen to somebody else talk about God. You are marked and assigned for your own experience with him. You'll get filled up to a point listening to somebody else, but it is your own encounter. It is your own connection, your own lifeline with God that feeds the revelation on the inside of you that causes your hope to rise. If you are in a place of pressing right now, If you're in a place of, oh my gosh, you're in the perfect place for a revelation of God. Let me tell you what it says to us in Ephesians chapter 1 out of the Passion Translation. It's starting in verse 17 says this, I pray that the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, would impart to you the riches of the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation to know him through our deepening intimacy with him. I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination, flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation of the hope of his calling. That is the wealth of God's glorious inheritance that he finds in us, his holy ones. See, every one of you, has come to a place, and if you've never been here, you're intersecting it right now. Come into that place of making that choice for yourself. It's not about what somebody else did, and it's not about doing it right. It's not about raising your hand. It's not about praying some prayer in Elizabethan English that you don't ever talk like that any other time in your life, except when somebody up in front of church tells you to pray, thus thee I givest thou my lifest. Not it. This is your own personal decision. The thing that you have more control over and the most important thing of your whole entire life. It is uncovering the revelation of Jesus Christ in you. That scarlet thread that has been given to us from all those thousands of years ago. To over 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ dying on the cross and giving us the scarlet blood that now wipes away everything and rescues us just like Rahab. They didn't stand at the, at the Jordan after her and her family had come out and they rescued her. They didn't stand there and go, hmm, okay, Rahab. We see here on this night, you hosted this party and uh, things were not godly there. And Rahab here, we're going to show where you did this. Mm. I've been on the receiving end of that face. That's why I know it. They gave her their word. 
and that was enough. She placed her faith on the revelation of that word. See, she wasn't distracted by all the other stuff. And you guys, there's so much coming at us. I mean, just, I mean, just this morning I was like, why? Who, who in their right mind would make a decision that that is good? Jericho. But she was looking out the window at God. See, we need to get our focus. So right now I want to pray over you. So let's just, let's all just be here in this moment. Don't worry. I'm going to get you out of here in time to beat everybody else to the buffet, okay? Right now, let's set our focus. All of this other stuff that's going on in the streets of our Jericho, we're not going to focus on that right now. God, we're turning and we're setting our focus out the window. And we're seeing who you are, your consistency, your integrity, your constant presence, always, day and night. God, that you were sure that you presented yourself, that even in the dark, in the wilderness, where it seemed that they were on their own, where it seemed that they were out there with no one else, that even in the darkest place, God, you presented yourself as a pillar of fire for your people to say to them, I am here. I am with you. I haven't gone anywhere. Even in this time of wandering, even in your time of uncertainty, even in your time of not being sure I am here. And God says that same thing to us today. If we will turn our focus and set our eyes just the way that Rahab did, and it's not enough, you have to decide and let this moment right now be, it's not enough for everyone else to experience God. It's not enough for me to hear the stories about God. I want that story for myself. I want that story in my life, God. You know what? Tell him that right now. God, I want your story in my life. I want to encounter you. I want to experience you. I don't get full listening to everybody else talk about you. I want to have my story to tell other people. If that's you, if that's your heart cry right now, tell him that. Tell him that right now. He's your dad. You can tell your dad anything. And if you've never made that decision for yourself, that intersecting moment, this is the moment where I lay down everything else and I stake my life on this one thing, this scarlet cord that has been given to me, the blood of Jesus Christ. I stake my life on it and I give you my future, God. I give you my crummy, messed up past. I give you my success. I give you all of the gifts and the talents, all of the prospering, all of the things that you've brought my way, all the open doors. It's all been God. God, I give it all to you. Now lead me in your future in it. This day, I choose to follow you. This day, I declare a revelation that Jesus Christ is my savior. And that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is my father. That I am adopted into a family that just like Rahab, I may have a past, but God has given me a future that is beyond anything that I could possibly produce on my own. This day, I declare he is God. I'm going to ask everybody in this auditorium, no matter how many times you've done it, to make your declaration. Today, I declare he is God. Today, I declare he is God. I declare with my mouth that Jesus is my Lord. I declare with my mouth that I have a future and a hope and it is because of God. I declare with my mouth that God is the God that I serve, the God who has saved me, the God who saved me, the God who liberated me, the God who has cut off pain, the God who has cut off sorrow, destruction. He is my God who gives me a future and a hope. And right now, I pray for a hunger for revelation to be released on the inside of you. If you desire that and you want that, put your hand on your belly right now. Put it on your belly. 
I desire that hunger. I want to be hungry like never before. And here's the thing. When God starts giving you the answer to that hunger, instead of you eating and getting full and not hungering anymore, what happens is you eat and you get hungrier. God is so good like that. The more revelation you get fed, the hungrier you get. And the hungrier you get, the higher your hope gets. Father, we thank you for a renewal of hunger or for a first time hunger. And God, in the name of Jesus, as we are hungering and thirsting for you, your word says to us, if we will draw close to you, you will draw close to us. We put our life on that promise. And we declare right now that we want to grow in revelation of you. We want to uncover the things that have not been known before. We want to have understanding of the things that we've heard for years, but maybe we've never understood it. It's not clicked. Today, in the name of Jesus, we declare we receive the revelation of who you are. Our desire is to be close to you. Our desire is to know you. We want to know your heart, God. And today, we are not settling for the empty anymore. We're not settling for the image. We're not settling for the TV show. We want our own encounter. We want our own experience with you, God. It is not selfish to ask that. Put a demand on the promise that has been given for us as his people who are marked as his children. God, I want you for myself. I want to know you for myself. And I'm not content with anything less in Jesus name, in Jesus name. And if you agree and you declare that for yourself, say, amen, amen, amen. So here's the thing is the scripture tells us that hope is living. Well, if something is living, it has to be kept alive. So next week, I want to talk to you about how to keep it alive. Travis will be here. Okay. <laughs> Nick, come on.